Let's pray. Gracious Father, open our hearts to what you want to speak through your word today. We thank you that you have given us instructions for how we are to live a life of complete abandonment to your son and the mission that he calls us to. It is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to be with you all again. I, uh, I saw a little funny cartoon on the internet the other day and it was a family walking out of church and the, uh, the dad says, honey, that was a great sermon, uh, on sin. I felt like the preacher was speaking directly to the man two pews in front of me. <laughs> I'm not preaching, I'm just centering on sin today, but I just thought you would enjoy that. Um, Luke 10, the commission to the 70 is something that when we read and look at might feel uh, just like something from uh, a day long gone from the ancient world when they did the gospel in that sort of way. It seems like something uh, kind of unfamiliar with our own way of life. Um, yet every faithful follower of Jesus is haunted by the feeling that we could be doing more to spread the message of the gospel. At least we should be. Um, or that our lives are falling short of the purpose to which we are called. And so I want to look at this passage today and um, really take note of the radical call of abandoning all to Jesus and being sent out into the world. Now, there's quickly, right away, we have to address something because we can look at this sort of thing and this radical call of Jesus into mission and it will feel like uh, duty or drudgery, something that is joyless because we're just not doing enough. And I think that's a bad starting place. I think that what we need to do is have our minds renewed by the word to see that to live in such a way as a, as a proclaimer, as a vessel of the message of the gospel is actually something that we can delight in and find a lot of joy in. I read this uh, by J. Campbell White. He was the secretary of the YMCA in Calcutta many years ago in the early 20th century. And he said this, most people are not satisfied with the permanent output of their lives. Nothing can wholly satisfy the life of Christ within his followers except the adoption of Christ's purpose toward the world he came to redeem. Fame, pleasure, and riches are but husks and ashes in contrast with the boundless and abiding joy of working with God for the fulfillment of his eternal plans. The people who are putting everything into Christ's undertaking are getting out of life its sweetest and most priceless rewards. You see, friends, we have to see our call to reach the lost as life's sweetest and most priceless rewards. Luke chapter 10. Let's jump in and walk through this passage because there is so much for us here. Now, in our day and age, you may not be called to uh, live out a, 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 a mission exactly like this, where you're actually going from town to town, kind of homeless and looking for places places to stay. And yet, throughout this passage, there are many principles and models for us uh, to think about, kingdom principles, as we think about our role in our call in the world to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. Jesus, um, my, just a reminder, I'm reading a version that's slightly different from the bulletin, but you'll, you'll understand. Follow along, uh, Luke chapter 10. 
Jesus appointed 72 others. So these are not his disciples, okay? These is the, this is the commissioning of lay people, right? This is the commissioning of everybody who's not a, a particularly appointed or ordained leader or something like this. This is a group of lay people who are committed to following Jesus. And he sends them out ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. See, Jesus does not send us somewhere or call us somewhere. He does not intend to show up. So we can just take heart that when God calls, when God lays something on our heart, gives us a vision or an impression of a, of a, of a path of ministry that we're to go on, he doesn't do that without the promise that he's already going to be showing up to do something. Keith, I, can you turn my mic down a little bit? I think it's kind of loud because it's a new, it's a new one. Is that better, people? I see a lot of people plugging their ears. <laughs> I know. Is that better? Is that good? Okay. Thank you. Now, moving on in the passage, we're just going to kind of cruise right through this passage because th- there, this is better than what I could ever, uh, ever say. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, there's two things here that we can be doing. One, we can be going ourselves and we can be praying that more people would be going. Friends, the harvest is plentiful. That means that there has already been seeds planted and it already have been, has been watered. And there are many people out there who are just desperate to know that they can have a personal relationship with God. And you and I are commissioned to make that known to them. There's people out there who have been hurt by church and they don't are not they're not attracted to the formalism of church and some of them are repulsed by it but you can actually invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ to be forgiven of their sins and to become a new creation and let God sort out where they're going to land in church okay our our mission is not primarily to um make new members at good shepherd it's to make new family members in the kingdom of God and then we can hope and invite that they come to Good Shepherd and find their find themselves a part of our family. Verse 3, moving on. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. See, the gospel does not advance with force and violence. And anywhere that the gospel, it, there's an attempt to advance it by force and violence, there is a falling short of God's heart for the mission of his church. It is uh, a, it is truly a tragedy. I see people, there's a group of people locally here somewhere that I see out in public sometimes that are wearing big black t-shirts with bold lettering on them, speaking uh, words of condemnation that they have cherry-picked out of scripture, walking around, uh, walking around hoping that that's being a light for the gospel. That's bad news. Not good news. You see, the gospel doesn't advance through force or violence or through condemnation, but through the, from the message of liberation and freedom in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. But Jesus, I gotta get things in order. I've gotta like, I've gotta take this class first. I've gotta get some money saved up before I can do all this. I've gotta get resources lined up, and then maybe I can actually go and do the thing. But you see, Jesus is telling his disciples, don't get bogged down in all the distractions of what you think you need to do to be prepared to go out and preach the gospel. Why? Because I want you to be completely dependent on me. That's what he's saying. I will provide for you as you go. 
Heidi Baker, who is the, uh, who is one of the founders of Iris Global Ministries, a ministry based in Mozambique, Africa, um, she, when she first started out, she just felt a call of God in her life, was radically passionate to spread the gospel wherever God would take her, and she started off in South Africa. She was by herself. She didn't have any money. She just got a plane ticket and went to South Africa, knowing that God was calling her to minister to people in Africa, and she just went and she sat on a street corner. And someone came along and said, here, I know it looks like you could use some money. And they gave her a little bit of money. Someone came along and said she had nowhere to stay. And someone came along. A lady runs up to her, runs up to her and says, throws her the keys to a car and says, here, I need you to take over my car. I have got to go somewhere. And she said, I'm pretty sure this lady was like a missionary. She said, God's calling me somewhere else. You just need to take over this. Or no, she said, here's the keys to my flat. And she's sitting there with keys. And this lady just takes off. And she's like, I don't know where your flat is. Somebody comes along, asks her, do you need a ride? She says, yes, I do, but I don't know where I'm going. She describes the lady to the guy. says, oh, I know where. She's a missionary. I know where her house is. Takes her there. And now, out of that, this is the first steps of her radical commitment to Jesus. Out of that, Iris Global Ministries is all over the globe. They've planted tens of thousands of churches. They take care of thousands and thousands of orphans in Mozambique. And Heidi Baker has an anointing for healing on her life. She sees regularly deaf ears open, blind eyes open. And, and, the, and, and people speak who could not speak. The mute speak. Because she listened to the radical call to abandon all. Sometimes we get too uh, caught up in our preparations. We're not, we, we think we're not ready. And Jesus says, I want you to fall into my arms and be completely dependent on me. That's what will make us ready. So then he goes on and he says... Um, you know, if there's a son of peace there, your, your, your peace will rest on him. Well, what does that mean? It means you're going to know if someone's going to be open and uh, peaceable when you are sharing the gospel. Jesus does not call us to keep pressing the gospel on somebody who is hostile and opposed to it. He says, move on. Don't cast pearls before swine. So now we're going to move down just a little bit of way, ways in the passage. Verse 8, he says, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We've, talk, we've been talking a lot about healing the sick in our church and seeing some wonderful things happening here. But we have to remember this. Healing the sick serves the purpose of advancing the gospel. When people watch Jesus supernaturally heal someone, their hearts are much more likely to open to the message of the gospel because they see the presence and power of God on display. I have yet to convince someone to become a Christian through intellectual rationalizing and arguments. But I've seen people encounter the presence of God and say, this God is real. I'll give my life to him. In scripture, now, of course, we believe in having the healing ministry within our church, but it's very important for us to realize that in scripture, the ministry of healing is usually portrayed as out there on the streets, on the highways and byways, because it's advancing the kingdom. Who who of us could grow in the boldness to say, come here, I'm going to pray for this lady's leg and God's going to heal her and you're going to know that Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords. (laughs) Would you trust God? To, take, to, to carry you in that moment? I'm, I'm working on that. It's scary, right? Because we are often afraid of being humiliated. And sometimes we need to be, to grow. 
to show God that we're willing, obedient vessels. I've prayed for people in public in front of other people and they didn't get healed. It's not fun. (laughs) Moving on. But just another note about that. Healing the sick, I think, in Scripture, it seems to be, and also casting out demons, seems to be a regular part of gospel ministry, the supernatural. The Western church has lost this in large part. We've got too much head and not enough power in the glory of God resting on us because we're not pursuing it enough. Moving on, uh, Jesus says, Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say... Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And he goes on. Now, our lectionary, which I've said to you before, likes to leave out chunks of scripture that it finds uh, unpalatable or unsavory. And I think that's a mistake because there's important things that we need to hear. Jesus continues to go on and say some more words of judgment. You see, Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's not going to pretend like the guilty are just going to be let off the hook. He died to give his life so that they could have a means of salvation. And so he sometimes speaks words of judgment and warning. And he goes on, he says this, you don't have this in your bulletin. He's talking to cities that have seen the glory of God on display in his ministry and yet are unbelieving. And he says this, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Then he says this, but it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Whew! If that doesn't make you slightly uncomfortable, it's a reality. If we don't take the coming of judgment, the coming judgment of God on the world that we we recite every week that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead based on their response to him, if we don't take that seriously, we won't take the need to preach the gospel seriously because we won't have a heart for the lost. We, we, we will stop realizing that what stands between people being eternally separated from the God who made them and loves them and wants fellowship with them, is the only thing that stands be- between them is the cross of Jesus Christ. And if there's no one to bring that good news to them, then how will they ever know? Paul says, how beautiful... Is the message. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to the lost. You see, Jesus says in John uh, chapter 3, when he's, you know, says the, that, that great, wonderful, beautiful verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And just a couple verses later, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There's just, there's just no getting around this and trying to get around this and make there like another way is just watering down the gospel. You're not doing anybody good when you do that. Now, of course, God is a God of grace, compassion, and mercy, patience. It says he is being patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but to all to come to the knowledge of the truth. But if we don't take that message seriously, we will feel little compulsion to get out there and tell people about the good news. All right, you guys with me? Yeah, okay. 
Now, Jesus says this in verse 16. I think we're back to where you have the reading in your bulletin. He says, the one who hears you hears me. Just think about the weight of that, right? There's weight behind our words when we speak the gospel. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. See, you, faithful follower of Jesus, are a representative and ambassador of the kingdom of God. Jesus puts his authority, his own weight behind your words and your ministering of the gospel to people. Thank God, right? Because in our own strength, it would get us nowhere. But the authority of Jesus is behind our own preaching of the gospel. You see, Jesus has invested so much authority in us that those who reject us, he says, reject him. Here's the thing. You are a lifeline to someone who might otherwise perish in their sin. You and I have got to take this seriously. Now, there's 70 return to Jesus and they're like, they're like giddy children, right? They're like, this is awesome. Lord, we, we can even cast the demons out now in, in, in this uh, day and age. There, there was practices of de- demonic exorcism with, in Judaism and, and from without, right? And people went through all kinds of rituals and elaborate ceremonies and things to try to get demons to come out of people because they saw that some people's lives were under the power of oppressive spiritual forces. And people go to great lengths and, you know, doctors and uh, different practitioners of magic and so forth go through great lengths. And, and they said, Jesus, we just speak their, your name and they come out and people are free. They're so excited because they've seen the power of God on display in their lives. You see, to embrace being sent out into the world, we actually have to first understand what is happening in the spiritual realm. You have to have eyes to see, as Jesus says. And what's happening is that there's a whole world out there that is under the oppression and the bondage and the influence of of evil spirits and the work of the enemy to keep them from coming to a knowledge of the truth of the glory of God in Jesus Christ, to keep them from coming to know the love of God so that they'll perish in their sin. This is This is the unseen realm. And Jesus says, go out into that and take the good news. So that blind eyes will see and that captives will be liberated, that people will find freedom, that they will find the abundant life in me. Jesus says this to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, what's he saying there? Well, scholars are a little bit unsure about that. But what we think he's saying is that when you are out ministering the kingdom and casting demons out of people and healing the sick, in the spiritual realm, what's happening is that Satan's being cast down from his throne. See, this is, this is, been, this is Jesus' message from the beginning of the gospel, is that the kingdom of God has come near, which means that the kingdom of Satan is being overthrown and defeated. And where does it get ultimately defeated? On the cross, right? Where he made a display of the rulers and the authorities and the principalities and powers. So when we see people on mission, disciples on mission, and we ourselves get out there on mission as people who are sent by Jesus, we are doing nothing less. When we make the name of Jesus Christ known and invite people in to know him and to be a part of his his, his family, we are actually overthrowing the work 
of the enemy, the spiritual enemy in the world. Because he's being cast down from his, his place of authority. Because Jesus has regained all power and authority over heaven and earth through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And that's the authority he shares with all of us. Now, when we look at a text like this, we, we think, well, where do we go from here? How do we respond to this? Um, I think the easy thing to do is just kind of say, well, you know, yeah, his disciples, they were really radical and things. Maybe there's some ways that I can do this. But I think really rather than trying to write it off and explain it away is to commit to uh, growing together as a church body towards a deeper fullness of what it looks like to be a people of mission to make God's love known to the world. Amen? <clears throat> This is not, um, this is not me having accomplished this saying, um, I'm gonna teach you now how to do it. This is all of us growing together and learning how to do this whole thing called mission and the proclaiming of the gospel together. Maybe sometimes you feel like a really bad disciple. Can we be honest? I do. I do. But here's the thing. Uh, Jack Deere said, the only good disciple you will ever see is a bad disciple who didn't give up. The only good disciple you will ever see is a bad disciple who didn't give up. So, friends, what we need is a a shift in our mindset, a shift in our hearts, eyes to see the big picture of what is going on in the unseen realm, a heart to make the love and compassion of Jesus Christ known to the world, which ultimately is to care more about the kingdom of God than about my own life. Because Jesus is beckoning us into a deeper joy and delight that can only be experienced when we are totally sold out for him. And without being sold out for him, we're going to miss out on the life abundant, on the joy that he has in store for us. So let's get practical and then I'll stop talking. What are some things, practical things to do as we think about growing together? One thing that I want to strongly encourage you is to develop a Bible reading plan. If you have never done this or you haven't done it in a long time, um, develop a Bible reading plan. That means, um, I, however you do that, so I go on Google and just Google Bible reading plan and you'll get all kinds of resources for how to read through the Bible like in the course of a year. Um, where it's manageable, where it's maybe 15 or 20 minutes a day, where you're reading a little from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament, something from the Psalms. Develop a Bible reading plan. Why is that important, right? Why can't I just go out and try harder to minister? Because to be an active participant in God's story, you need to have a big picture understanding of the story. That will ignite your heart with passion. In everything that you read in here, everything from the first page to the last, the, the law, the prophets, God's calling of Israel, the tabernacle, the temple, Jesus, everything is important for understanding the story. And it's important and points to the story of Jesus and the work of Jesus. You're not wasting your time by reading through this. I realize there are genealogy parts that you're going to skip over. No, God, God's not going to judge you for, uh, you know, go, going past the, what we call the Jewish phone book, right? But reading through the Bible regularly and getting a big picture story is going to give you eyes to see the story that we are all a part of. Um, David said this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. We need that lamp and that light. 
Uh, number two is this. Mingle with the mature. Mingle with the mature. Find Christians who are further along in their spiritual walk than you and spend time with them. Seek them out for counsel and wisdom. Say, hey, can I buy you lunch and and, and get to know you better and and pick your brain about some things? Because I'm trying to figure out this whole discipleship thing. I'm still doing that. I'm still doing that. I just reached out to to a pastor in Orlando and said, hey, can we meet up? I, I, I know who you are and I know you've got more experience. I need to learn and grow. Um, you know, maybe some of the people that in the past you've considered to be Bible thumpers or something like that are actually just more passionate for God and his word than you are. It's true. You know, some of us will write off people because we think they're excessive and flamboyant in their spirituality. And maybe it's just that they're more passionate and we need to catch some of that. I know that's been the case for me. Number three is this really practical read biographies and autobiographies. Nothing will make you more passionate to share the gospel than reading about the lives of people who were sold out to Jesus and changed the world. People like Brother Yun, Corey Ten Boom, Hudson Taylor, Billy Graham, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, people who forsook all to make the gospel of Jesus Christ and the name of God glorified in the world. Their stories will encourage your heart and make you hungry to see more of God's power and presence in your own life. Number four is this, finally, I said I wasn't going to talk about sin, but this is kind of, but anyway, number four is this, repent. Now, repent um, means really, what the word means is to, to change one's mind or way of thinking, which will lead to a change of course and behavior. And so it, it, it is um, undoubted that some of us need, a, need to change our way of thinking when it comes to what it means to be a sent Christian in the world. And to repent, Paul says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It's not a sense of, oh, I have so much guilt and shame and God's going to punish me if I don't. No, it's God's kindness. It's him beckoning us to make, have a change of mind in the way of, in, in, the, in our way of thinking so that we can move deeper into life with him. Repentance is sweet and glorious. It's an opportunity to grow and be transformed. You see, I have felt that call from God. I feel it more often than I would like to, to repent, to change my way of thinking because I find myself slipping back constantly into a me-focused lifestyle. And where I'm living a me-focused lifestyle, I don't have time, energy to be out there living for the sake of others. And the Lord shows us, when he calls us to that, what he's showing us is that we're missing out on those sweetest and most priceless rewards of leading people to Jesus. So some of us just need to start with all this when we look at this this gospel and we think, this is radical. I just, I don't know about this. Some of us just need to start and cry out, Lord, I've had no desire to share you with others. Just be honest with them. I've had no desires. I'm too ashamed. I'm too shy. I'm too afraid. I don't know where I am in my walk with you. I'm too focused on my own life. Show me how you want to work through me so that I don't have to trust in my own strength and willpower. And show me how to delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. We're all familiar with those words. I just want to close on a note of saying, of discussing getting to where we need to be as a church. And I believe um, with all my heart 
that that will happen and continue to happen as we realize more and more that we are sent out there. And I think what that will mean is it will mean in for some of our ministries a dynamic shift to thinking outside of the property of Good Shepherd and into Maitland and Eatonville and Winter Park and Orlando to make the message of the gospel known. Because when we're out there putting our, taking risks and making ourselves available for God to use us and people start having God encounters because we're out there, God will multiply. God will bring the growth. And so I want us to be thinking about this over the course of our, we're really into our second year already as, as rector and congregation, thinking about how some of our ministries might shift dynamically to a more outward focused perspective. Can we do that together? Yeah? Scary? Yes? Amen. Exit the parking lot, or as some of them have it right in the church as you're leaving the church doors. And some of you already know what I'm going to say. It says, you are now entering the mission field. Right? Let's be a church that does that and thinks that way to God's glory. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you send us. Not only do you save us, but you are interested in a relationship with us, in walking us through life and giving us the delightful opportunity to partner with you and to cooperate with what you're doing in the world. So God, we ask as a church, we come before your, your throne of grace and we ask that you would ignite new fires in our hearts for the lost, the people that your heart burns for, the people that would normally repel us or that we would avoid and give us a compassion so that we would actually take risks to be out there, to speak the name of Jesus to others, not only inviting people to come here, but actually bringing you to them because your Holy Spirit, Lord, lives within us. And so when we are walking in your Holy Spirit and we share you with others, people encounter you. So give us the boldness uh, and the ability to believe that and to believe that the world will be changed when we walk that out. It's in your mighty name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.